Hello, world. How are we doing today? It is another beautiful, freezing, and gloomy day where I sit recording this. But, as always, a little historical bright spot never hurt anybody. I am your beloved host, Mary Jane, and it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Her Story, your favorite podcast for badass historical women and the often misconstrued legacies about them. And today, we are getting into some women who, again, depending on who you're asking, very controversial. In my personal opinion, after about seven hours of caffeine-induced research, I'm going more the route of folk hero and badass than serious controversy. But of course, that also helps that the subject matter... You know, okay, you know how you're, the woman's always right? You hear this in, you know, marriages or workplaces or among friends where women are 1,000% correct in every situation. Yeah, well, it's hard not to agree with them when you're looking at this subject matter because today we are talking about the Maroons. No, I don't mean the color or the bands, Maroon 5, or the song by Taylor Swift. I'm talking about... Communities of enslaved Africans who were able to escape bondage in the Caribbean, Mexico, and Brazil, and found their own towns that avoided recapture and reenslavement, but also celebrated their newfound freedom and African culture in a lot of ways. And these towns were often led by women who played a serious role in the fight for independence across the Caribbean. Now, the word maroon derives from cimarron, which is Spanish for runaway cattle, because people were property back then. Again, you know how the woman's always right? Don't argue this time. She is. 1,000%. Every situation ever, she's correct. Especially the two women we are talking about today. One, a martyr, and the other, a folk hero. These women were part of an incredible legacy of freedom fighters, and are mothers of communities that still survive to this day. Let's backtrack here. First, to understand the Maroons and how these communities came about, we have to understand just how much Europe sucks, especially with their whole pillaging the entire world thing. So, yeah, let's start off when everybody needed their pillaging fix. From the time European countries realized sailing west meant you landed in the Americas and not falling off the face of the earth, shed enlightened powers had been using the land and people of the Americas for its resources. And instead of walking around a beach with a pocket full of sunshine, they had diseases and weapons and relocating indigenous peoples and the forced labor and dehumanizing conditions. Of, of oh, millions. Crown jewel yeah, of French so. territorial expansion. Yeah. Not and good. when I say jewel, not good. think blood diamond. The Caribbean became home to plantations of enslaved Africans producing luxury goods for Europeans and, and Americans. Everyone's like, in all oh, of the no, Americas. America. We had our own plantations. Scholars have we had some there, too. Not as many, because these were, were stolen from Africa foreign controlled. But remember, if there's money to be made, there is an American somewhere in the West. 
So in the Caribbean, the there Brits, is so much the French, in history and the Spanish were playing the tug of war with the West Indies, would continue to keep fighting black for domination of resources and territory, and company owned villages, of even such as after where we're like centuries Haiti after gaining freedom. Jamaica, and Guadalupe. Haiti is still a success story and so is the Haiti only country kind of to arise from a successful slave rebellion, with the fighting lasting like from 1791 to 1804. The during the 18th and Haiti is only Before one territory in what is literally, to quote Cards Against Humanity, a sea of troubles. But acts of rebellion, large and small, took place all over the Caribbean and parts of Brazil and Mexico. And, of course, the Americas, but we're just looking at this region for right now. But acts of rebellion, large and small, took place all over the Caribbean in, form, in the form of maroon settlements. Escaped slaves would retreat inward into the hills and dense wilderness of the islands and build towns hidden from colonial forces. Maroons often had to travel around very frequently and rapidly to avoid capture because they're they remote. Maroons often had to travel to avoid recapture by colonial forces, but because of their remote location, constant movement, and some pretty insane guerrilla tactics, they were nearly impossible to recapture. One of the women we're talking about today actually escaped to a maroon settlement. One woman who escaped to a maroon settlement was Solitude. Solitude's mother had been stolen from Africa and assaulted by white sailors who brought her to the island of Guadalupe. Not much is known about Solitude's life. We think she was born sometime around 1777 before she was brought to the French colony. Because of her mixed heritage, she reportedly had light, lighter skin and eyes, working as a domestic servant while her mother labored in the fields. Eventually, the mother and daughter managed to escape and made it to the maroon colony of La Goya in the mountains around the 1790s. On February 2nd, 1794, three years after rebellions in Haiti began, and the following the French Revolution, France abolished slavery in the colonies. Word reached Guadalupe by June 7th. Yeah, so again, recall, technology and oceans and all that fun stuff. Months, months after slavery was abolished, these people finally found out. So, that sucks. But yeah, June 7th, and now the free workers left the plantations in droves. And French plantation owners across the Caribbean, as you can probably guess, were less than thrilled by this. They badgered the government for the return of slavery, because it's like, because it's like, really hard to make money when you have to pay people for their work. And then this short little short king who's more like a short emperor popped up into the picture and he's like, "Hello, my name is Napoleon Bonaparte and like, girl, I totally hear you." Napoleon was raging waging war across Europe. His descendants would go on to try to conquer Mexico and America. And more territory. They they were busy, guys. The Napoleons were busy. But because when you just had a revolution, you need money, and then you're conquering a bunch of people, and you need money, and you have angry plantation owners who can give you money, Napoleon was like, I have a fun, fresh little solution here. 
Recalling the wealth that the plantation system had brought France, Napoleon reinstituted slavery in 1802. He said, let's bring back the worst hits. Reinstituted it. What that meant was that all of these now free French citizens who had been free citizens for eight years were now supposed to submit to their former masters and return to bondage. Haha. No. So French forces arrived in Guadalupe, ready to round people up and say, hey, remember when we gave you rights after dehumanizing you and your families and your ancestors? Sorry, an oof. Back into the chains. Um, no, 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 no. As soon as the French forces arrived in Guadalupe, the officers, most of whom were of African descent, rebelled. Yeah. Sounds about right. Sounds good to me. So the people rose up to preserve their independence, and that meant that there was a lot more attacks on the Maroons because you have colonies of escaped slaves who have been actively flouting your authority, flouting their independence, and shirking your authority for years. And, uh, yeah, the French weren't too, weren't too thrilled about that. Um, when French general Defony... I don't know. His, his name looks like a prescription drug. So when one French general and his forces attacked Logoyev, Solitude was able to successfully avoid capture and lead a group of Maroons to freedom. When the revolution broke out, she was extremely active in the resistance and became a leader of her own fighting force. She was a combatant in several battles across Guadalupe while pregnant, killing and capturing French soldiers who were trying to enslave her when she was eight months pregnant. If that's not badass enough, she once intimidated a bunch of captives by securing a rabbit and saying, this is how I'm going to treat you. Damn. Yeah, again, terrifying, but the woman is always right, so good for her. Eventually, Solitude, however, was captured. There is some debate over how and where, and each story is crazier than the next. One story says that she was that she and her freedom fighters attacked Fort Charles and were forced to retreat, but Solitude was injured and captured. Another version is that she was taken when the French attacked a maroon stronghold in the mountains. The most John Wick version of all this says that when they attacked a plantation, Solitude and her forces were surrounded by 500 French soldiers. So they drew the French forces in and rigged gunpowder explosives to take as many soldiers as they could with them to the grave. Like a badass. Solitude, however, again, because she was a badass, survived the explosion and was arrested along with a few other resistance fighters. Again, eight months pregnant. No matter which version of the story you subscribe to, that part is always insanely clear. She was eight months pregnant, leading armed forces, capturing the French, 
and destroying and trying to dismantle the plantation system. Solitude and her forces were sentenced to hang in a military tribunal, though she was given a stay of execution until her baby's birth. And again, the French, just because they were bastards, the day after she gave birth, Solitude was executed. She died November 28, 1802, at the age of 30. Solitude's child disappeared into history, with many suggesting the baby was given to her former owner. Yeah, that got so somber really quick. Solitude's name and story were seemingly gone, too, and while many male revolutionaries she worked alongside with began to receive recognition, as the years went on, Solitude's story did not reappear until the 1960s. However, today, she is regarded as a martyr and hero of Guadalupe. Her name appears in squares, streets, schools, museums, books, and opera, and in a very famous statue, all of them promoting her as patron of her people, a hero of the Maroons, and a mother to the resistance movement. But fighting for independence was not just limited to the French colonies. In British-controlled Jamaica, one of the most famous freedom fighters and Maroons would become part celebrated leader and park folk hero by just absolutely pounding the British. You could easily label this woman as the GOAT of resistance fighters. That's slang the kids are using these days. Stands for greatest of all, all of all time. Like LeBron. I'm with the times. I know. Nanny of the Maroons was born sometime between 1680 to 85 in Ghana in an Akan community. By the way, if you didn't know, fun fact, the Akan are the largest ethnic group in Ghana. Nanny was enslaved and brought to Jamaica with her brother, Kojo. And the Brits imported over 700,000 Africans between 1655 and to 1807, according to National Geographic, mostly for plantations growing sugarcane. But Nanny and Kojo were badasses. Like, find a different word. Find a different word, and I will use it. Get me a thesaurus, and I will use it. But today's word is badass. Nanny became a fierce fighter and trained her own troops in guerrilla warfare after she and her brother escaped slavery and made it to a maroon colony. Some say she was a powerful Obeya woman and even used magic to bless troops. Her tactics were incredibly smart, using the environment around her, traditional Akan horns to sound signals and retreats, and even disguising herself and her troops, who were also escaped slaves and resistance fighters, as trees. They fought throughout the 1720s and 30s, never backing down even as the British attacked and demolished their settlements, forcing them to constantly keep moving. The Maroons were an incredibly powerful guerrilla force, despite their small size, causing so much damage that the British, the most powerful country in the world, was forced to negotiate with them. Nanny and Kojo declared their autonomy from the crown in 1738 and 39, and Nanny was given a 500-acre land grant for the Maroons who escaped slavery. And there, she founded Nanny Town in the Blue Mountain region, and was leader of the Windward Maroons. Her brother led the Leeward Maroons, and it seems each major settlement had one central leader, but sometimes a council of elders to help run the town. Controversially, the Maroons 
are sometimes, well, to the British, the Maroons are just absolutely brutalized in any record. The British deign to mention them. But today they're still pretty controversial because in the treaty, the Maroons could not help other runaways. Now, this, of course, was on the condition that they would have their own land and wouldn't be re-enslaved or attacked. But it also was a manner of protection for the Maroons because the British would often send in spies to try to figure out where each settlement was. Nannytown grew in the first half of the 1700s to a population of 800 to 1,000 people and was matrifocal, focusing on traditional Akan society in Ghana. Nanny, as leader, was responsible for protecting the town from potential invasion and acting as social and spiritual leader. The Brits often referred to Maroon settlements in derogatory terms, including Nanny's use of Obeya witchcraft and tried to ignore the fact that they were free Afro-Caribbeans thriving in hidden societies in the mountains because it made them look bad. Nanny's tactical genius for ambush, misdirection, and strategic positioning had made her a fearsome military leader, but she is also seen as a uniting force for the windward and leeward Maroons. And though she had no children, today all Jamaicans with Maroon ancestry trace their lineage back to her as mother of her people. Oral storytelling tradition does away with British accusations of witchcraft. Stories of her outwitting the Brits through strategy, spiritual magic to protect her people, and medicinal knowledge were recorded in large scale in 1967 in the Jamaican Daily Gleaner paper, which was one of the first major records we had of her outside of British accounts. One feat, which you can see we're leaning more towards folklore here, but one feat even says she could catch bullets mid-air. I know that's probably a legend, but if anyone could do it, it's probably her. Um, this does, however, open up a really weird discourse scholars have been having about um, certain interpretations of this. Some, <clears throat> probably the Brits, suggested that she could catch bullets with her buttocks. I am not making that up. That is a real thing I was forced to read. In real papers, real people have written. That is a thing, and I wish it wasn't, but there you go. Um, it has been suggested that this vulgarization was meant to discredit her by focusing on her ass and, you know, regulating her legacy to one part of her body. And another writer says that this has actually evolved into, like, a middle finger-esque gesture in Jamaica, which sounds insane, but I have no proof of this, so I don't know, man. I just That's weird. There are a lot of storytelling traditions where amazing African resistance fighters could actually catch bullets. Again, if anyone could do it, probably Nanny. But um, I choose to I choose to focus on that part of the legend. So there you go. Nanny died in the 1750s in Nannytown as a free woman and leader of her community, probably in her 70s. The image of Nanny as a resistance fighter and nurturing community leader has been embraced to show a narrative of victory and empowerment over subjugation. She founded and protected Caribbean settlements built on Akan values and spirituality years after she was sold into slavery and isolated from her culture. Nanny of the Maroons was declared a national hero of Jamaica by Prime Minister Michael Manley in 1975 and is the only woman and Maroon to earn the honor. 
1995, her likeness first appeared on the 500 Jamaican dollar note, the only woman on currency for, in Jamaica. Nanny's story has survived and adapted in education, oral storytelling, monuments, books, films, and building projects across Jamaica. And the legacy of the Maroons has survived centuries after their communities first banded together. Dating over six decades before the Haitian Revolution and over a hundred years before the Emancipation Proclamation. Her victory in Jamaica's Maroon Wars, first happening in 1720 to 39 and the second in 1795 to 96, set a precedent for free Maroon communities to remain independent in Jamaica up to this day, where these small towns are often like crime free, very rich in Caribbean Afro culture, often mixing with the indigenous peoples to survive. So that's also cool. And being run by community council elders who can still involve the Jamaican government if and when they need it. While the Maroons have often been discredited and have a lot of controversy among many other fellow Caribbeans who are descendants of slaves, other islanders, and of course the European colonial powers they escaped from and constantly undermined by, you know, the audacity to ask for independence and liberty and not to be brutalized, you know. People ask for so much these days. It is no secret that the Maroons are an example of survivors of incredible female-led communities in many cases who were able to fought for their freedom. And though some, like Solitude, paid the ultimate price, women like Nanny were able to build off of their success and legends And eventually, the work of Nanny, Solitude, and so many of these women secured lasting freedom across the Caribbean. They are a major inspiration not only to Afro-Caribbean women today, but all women studying the diaspora of Black Americans and the legacy and pain we've inherited from colonization. And if you think that all of this stuff today, like, yeah, that was a long time ago, but no matter who you are or where you're from, it doesn't affect you. It does. The world we're living in is actively the result of colonial powers taking what they want with no regard for human life and the people who stood up to fight against the system like the Maroons. If you want to learn and support people in their study of this, especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a white woman, start listening to black women about their history and about their experiences. Don't be a freaking weirdo and go up to black women you know or don't know on the street and just start talking about this without their permission because that's weird and I've seen a lot of online discourse about that lately, so there's my two cents. (laughs) But if we want to learn, first we must listen and learn the stories of our past. And no story about resistance, freedom, and just badassery hits as hard as Nanny of the Maroons and Solitude, the women who fought tooth and nail for their freedom. All right, again, as you can tell, I have had no caffeine and starting to show on these intros and outros. So you know what? Who's to say? Maybe next week I'll bring a coffee and hopefully not spill it on the booth and get canceled but as for this 
I am so grateful that you could join us today. It was an incredible journey learning about Nanny and Solitude and all these incredible people who just said fuck you to the British and the French, which please, please do it all the time. All the time. Every day. Throw a baguette at them. I don't care. Yeah, this is just a terrible outro, but eh, whatever. As always, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure having you, and I can't wait to see you next week for another woman who made her story. (laughs) 